If you have your Bible, we're going to be in James chapter 2, faith versus discrimination, or in our modern day vernacular, are you a snob? Okay? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 2. And I, I want to give you four words and try to give you a little bit of a definition and understanding of four words. And I, I really hesitated to share this with you because I'm going to be misquoted and some of you are going to misunderstand. And so here's what I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you to really listen for at least these first three minutes, okay, before you doze off because here's what I need you to do for your friend who's not paying attention next to you. I need for you, when you hear them say, oh, well, the pastor said this and they're trying... I want you to know that's not exactly right. You didn't listen very well, okay? So is everybody listening now? So, um, do you, so you can all feel like really guilty if you're not listening to this part. I want to give you four words that I think it's imperative for us to understand, and I think they are greatly misused and misunderstood. Extremely misunderstood, okay? I'm going to give you four, and I'm going to start backwards. I'm going to give you a little bit of basis, basics here. Number one, word forgiveness. What does the word forgiveness mean? It means to be released from a debt. It means to be forgiven of something I've done and I no longer have to endure the penalty, so to speak. I no longer have to pay for it. So if I loan you money and you don't pay me back and I forgive you, it means that you don't have to pay that debt anymore. It's forgiven. What it doesn't mean is that I have to just keep loaning you money. Forgiveness. Well, if you'd really forgive me, you just keep giving me money. That's not forgiveness, okay? That's really lack of discernment is what it is. But forgiveness is, I forgive you of the debt that you owe. It's what God did for us. We owed a debt for our sins. And so He forgave us of that debt. Okay? Does that make sense? All right. Anybody mad at this point? All right, good. All right, number two, reconciliation or restitution. I am commanded to forgive. When someone when someone asked Jesus, Master, how many times shall I forgive? Seventy times seven. I forgive. The debt I forgive as often as I am asked. It does not mean that I reconcile that person immediately or in the same place that they were before. Example, you may have a son or a daughter who has, uh, who you bought a car for them and they continue, uh, they, they start to drink, maybe they have a problem with drugs and they wreck a car. You forgive them the first time and you go, okay, I'm going to get you another car. But, Let's understand what the rules are. They do it again. And then they say, forgive me. You forgive them, but they say, all right, where's my new car? And you go, you don't get another one. Okay? I've already forgiven. I'm not necessarily reconciling you to that same place you were. I'm not going to restore you into the exact position. You're going to have to earn that. You're going to have to show some trust. You're going to have to show a period of time where I can respect your judgment. Okay? So, would anybody disagree with that? Does anybody think they should keep buying their wild teenager cars after they wreck? As a matter of fact, take your little sister with you, okay? Nobody thinks that. All right, if you do, you are subject to be put in a cult. Okay, I'm just to be real frank with you, okay? People who take things without judgment, there is a river of grace and love that flows down our, through our faith. And on one side is truth, the other side is discernment. God never tells us not to use discernment. Matter of fact, He tells us just the opposite. So sometimes people will misuse and they'll go, well, you know you have to forgive me. You have to forgive me. Well, one, in one, one sense, okay, I will forgive you that debt. That didn't mean I have to let you do this to me again. All right? Does it make sense? All right? Anybody mad? Okay, God bless you. All right? I know because some people will do that. They'll go, they just didn't forgive me. 
They didn't, they didn't forgive me. Well, they may have forgiven you, but they may not have restored you into your exact place that you were in before. Sometimes, and, and, and you know that. Okay, let me give you one other example. If somebody came in here with a gun and, um, and we took them out and we said, okay, you can't bring guns in here anymore, uh, we would be exercising discernment, and when they walked in here from now on, we would look to see if they had a gun. Okay? We wouldn't go, well, we're not even checking anymore. Well, yeah, they did a gun, I'm sure, but we forgave them. It's okay if they come in here again. If somebody had a sexual charge against them with a child, we wouldn't let them work in the preschool area. We'd do background checks, and we may forgive them that sin, but that doesn't mean we put them in that position. Okay? So, there is forgiveness, there's reconciliation. And then there is what we call discrimination. Discrimination is this. Discrimination is my initial encounter. I judge you. I make an assessment of that. I'm not going to socialize with you or I'm not going to accept you or I'm just going to not treat you like you exist. I'm not going to welcome you because of your skin color, because of your economic status, because of the way you dress, because you're a Democrat, because you're independent or whatever it is that you are. Okay, because of who your friends are. That is discrimination based on what they say they are, the way they look, the way maybe that they come across, their accent, their dress, whatever it is. That's discrimination when you choose to not socialize with them or not accept them or treat them in a different manner. Okay, that's discrimination. Judgment is when you recognize there's suspicious Serious, suspicious behavior. We've had that happen before, okay? I was in a church one time where someone was very suspicious and it turned out that there was good reason uh, because uh, they had multiple charges against them. Well, because of some of the behavior they were demonstrating, we made a judgment call. That is not sin, okay? Can we all uh, agree to that and all understand that? So we've got forgiveness. We forgive the debt. There's reconciliation. And hopefully, particularly if they're a brother, sister in Christ, in a relationship, whatever, we can eventually re reconcile. But that doesn't mean that automatically happens. And that does have to be earned most of the time, just so you know, recon reconciliation. So it's not like the, the debt it goes, goes away, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you automatically come to the same place, the same position, and the same privileges you had. Then there's discrimination. That's when we make an exterior, self-motivated self-judgmental attitude towards someone based on uh, color, based on uh, economics, based on politics, based on how they make you feel, based on the way they dress. And then there's discernment. Okay? So James is going to be speaking here. And, and by the way, I'm not going to read this text just in the interest of time. But if you think, I'm, uh, you think that's just way out, I, and I know there's Matthew chapter 7, Judge not, lest you be judged. And Jesus is talking about hypocritically. Know not that you will be judged by the same standard. So in other words, you don't make a judgment that you won't live by yourself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, matter of fact, the whole chapter, there's a situation where someone has engaged in gross sexual immorality. They continue to come to church, and the church is basically going, oh, let's just be grace. We're grace church, forgiveness church. Just let them go in. Let them do whatever. And um, let them be a part. Let them be in leadership, whatever it is. And... Paul says, hey, you've got an issue there that you need to deal with. And I'm going to exercise judgment from where I am. 
And then he says at the end of the chapter, in verse 12 and 13, he says, recognize this, you're not to judge the outside world, but you are to use discernment and judgment in the context of godly worship, within the context of godly leadership, when there is oblate sin, when there is in-your-face sin, when there is divisive heresy, then you have to deal with these things. And you can't just pretend like they don't exist and go, well, God forgives, God forgives. Okay, It's discrimination, it's favoritism that James is going to talk about right now. So with that context and that understanding, uh, let's, let's read here. James, of course, is the pastor of the Church of Jerusalem, which is the flagship church of the early Christians. It is the church, so to speak. It is the one of influence. James is the bishop, the pastor of this church. And he's addressing some very specific issues. Sometimes people will just try to live all in grace, and kind of like what we just talked about, kind of almost ignorant grace. Sometimes people live in legalism. It's all law. James is saying there's a tension. Just like there's a tension in parenting, you know, I try to get my child to do some things. But sometimes I forgive them. I don't always just completely say, okay, whatever. You said you're sorry, and there's never any consequences. I never try to make them do anything. The other side, I don't try to get them to just obey me. Sometimes I exercise grace. It's a tension there. So is our faith. It is a spirit of grace. It is a spirit of recognizing we've been fully accepted and received by God by no effort of our own, but also that we are to live in a manner that brings Him glory, and that is obedient. There will always be some tension there. And we see that James is addressing this area of discrimination. It's already occurred in Matthew, excuse me, in Acts chapter six. If you go back and you read that chapter, what you would find is this: that uh, the deacons were appointed because there was discrimination against some of the widows. There were women and there were people who were coming who needed charitable help to the church of Jerusalem. And some, because they were a pure-blood Jews, they were getting help first and they were maybe uh, receiving an excess because some were not pure-blood Jews and because some were maybe not Jewish at all, they were not receiving the same assistance. And so what happened? Well, they had to appoint deacons. There were people who would make discernment and help make sure that the food was evenly distributed. That's what they were for. That was because of discrimination, because of prejudice. Again, we see in Acts chapter 10, Peter himself, a rock of the church, one of the, one of the guys, one of the founding fathers of the church, one of the primary disciples, okay? And I, I didn't say he's the rock of the church. Excuse me, he's not the rock which our faith is built on, but his name means rock. Just anybody that got real bothered by that statement. Here he is showing discrimination because there are some that are eating there and he won't eat with them because they are uncircumcised Gentiles. So James surely saw this. He surely knows about this. And so here he begins to address it in James chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. My brothers, showing that he's talking to the believers, he's talking to Christians here, those who call themselves Christ followers. As believers in our glorious Lord Jesus, don't show favoritism. Don't show partiality. Don't show discrimination. Suppose a man comes to you into your meeting, into your church. That's what he's saying. He comes into your place of worship wearing gold rings and fine clothes. Now, gold rings and fine clothes 
were uh, not uncommon. Matter of fact, that was the way that people kind of uh, showed their wealth. If you were very wealthy, you would wear multiple rings typically on your finger. Matter of fact, that translation can be translated as gold finger, and they would have many as many gold rings as they could get on their hands to wear. And so here's a picture of somebody who's obviously wealthy. Sometimes they would even take their jewels and their precious stones, and they would weave them into their clothing. So it was very painfully obvious who had the money. And if you'll remember back in the Roman Empire, there really wasn't a class structure as we know it. There was basically the aristocrats. There were the wealthy, and then there were the lower class workers, and then there were slaves. So to be an aristocrat, to be one of the upper echelon, meant that you probably owned land. It meant that you were probably very wealthy. And many of them were looked at like we look at movie stars today in some sense, regardless of their lifestyle, regardless of their character. You see a man who comes in who's wealthy and a poor man who comes in in shabby clothes or or work clothes because the poor would not have had multiple uh, sets of clothing. They would have probably been working that day. And if you show special attention to the man wearing the clothes, special attention to the man with fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you, but to the poor man, you stand there or you sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, what's happening here? Well, it was very common in synagogues. As a matter of fact, you'll even see sometimes this even in Mideastern churches today, and, and it could even happen here, where sometimes there are not enough seats, and typically there, there would just be a few rows, maybe just a few pews or a few chairs in the front, and the culture was that the rich would come in. That's where they'd come out of that kind of culture. The rich would come in and they'd have their seats and everybody else would stand up in the back or they would sit on the ground. And he's going, this is kind of the culture you're used to. This is the way it's always been. Whether you've gone to a civic organization, whether you've attended a synagogue, whatever you've come to, that's the way it's done. But let me tell you, we're not, we're, that's the, not the way Jesus has instructed us. That's not the way it works in Christianity. So, if the rich man comes in and you put him in the front, and the poor man comes in and you make him sit on the ground in the back, have, basically he uses the word evil. Have you not uh, committed discrimination? Are you not becoming judgmental, discriminating, prejudiced? Listen. My brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom? He has promised those who love Him. Jesus says at one point it's easier for a rich man to go through the eye of a camel than to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because the poor man already knows the attitude and the spirit by which he must come. They had lived a life of servitude where if they ever wanted finances or assistance, they would have to come humbly and beg before the nobility, beg before the king, beg before those who were in authority. But the rich weren't used to doing that. They didn't have to do that. There was an kind of an air, an aura of superiority about them. And when you come to Christ, we must come in humility. We must come in recognition that He is the King, that we need forgiveness and salvation. We've not earned it nor deserve it. We are actually begging and asking Him for His forgiveness. 
We don't come into the kingdom by saying, God, here I am. You're getting a pretty good deal with me. I'm going to really be able to help you. I'm better than a lot of these folks here. And All right, I'm ready to give you. I'm ready to give you myself. Here I am. Go ahead and take advantage of it. That attitude equals no repentance, which equals no forgiveness. We come in humility of heart before the King, asking for our salvation. He says this, But have you insulted the poor? Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Or is it not the ones who are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? Let me give you a concrete example of how we do this today, because it's easy for us to look at oh, I don't do any of those things. I'm glad we don't do that. You know what we here's what we do today. Sometimes we will take the Hollywood culture and because they're in Hollywood, because they have a lot of money, and because we think they look attractive or whatever, they make statements of faith. And we go, well, you got to really listen to that. You know, and we start to say, yeah, I'll just make some of you mad. We start to say, well, Oprah said it. You know, it must, there must be some real val- validity to it. Or Alex Baldwin. Lord knows they're on TV and they're rich. And we start to honor and praise and think how wonderful they are and start to take what they say over someone who's maybe in the faith in the church that's not as educated, who's poor. And basically, James is saying, what, what are you thinking? These are people who are manipulating you. These are people who have misled you. These are people who have taken advantage of you. These are people who stand in the antithesis of your values and your faith. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, and you are doing right, verse 8 tells us. The royal law. What is the greatest commandment found in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 through 40? That you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. The royal law, the edict of the king. This is a non-negotiable. But if you show favoritism or partiality or discrimination, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For who... For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. He's probably talking about those who had become zealots, who thought it incumbent upon themselves to attack the Roman leaders and those in authority and kill them when the opportunity was given. And others affirm that. They may not have done it, but they affirm that spirit. Oh, you don't commit adultery and you say you're pure of the law, but yet you murder, yet you kill. And he says in verse 12, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So how are we judgmental in church today? You know, I, I hear it all the time. You know, sometimes I'll be following up and people will say, well, you know, some of those people in your church, they raise your hands. You going to do anything about that? That's called being judgmental. Just, you know, spiritually judgmental. Or here's the other side. Um, I notice nobody in your church raises their hands and a lot of them don't sing. And I, I just don't think I could be a part of a place like that. I, what's wrong with your church? That's called being judgmental. That's called being discriminatory. 
just because that's not where you are and that's not how the Spirit is moving in your life, that's not how you're cut, when we make judgments like that, we are being judgmental because they're self-seeking. We set ourselves up as the superior judge. It doesn't have anything to do with the context of a person following Christ and His love for Him. We are making an outside judgment, an outside indicator that we deem is right based on what we feel and what we think. I hear it all the time with music. You know, this is one of my, I shouldn't say my favorite one, it's one of the ones that drives me crazy. I got this in the same week. This is shortly after we moved in this building. I called, some, I think it was the same day. I'm calling through visitors. One visitor says, I just, you know, I don't think I can do your church because your musicians just aren't expressive enough. That just drives me crazy. They're not expressive enough. I go, well, okay, well, God bless you. And if you'd like to come back. I'm not kidding you. It's like two or three calls later. I don't think I can go to church like that because your musicians, they're just too expressive. They're too showy. And I'm thinking... And both of you are judgmental. That's what I, what I think. It's a taste issue. And let me say this. It's okay to have a taste. That's all right. If you have a taste for this type of music or for the way the band expresses themselves or even the way I preach, that's great. But you can't say it's wrong just because it's not your taste. That's being judgmental. When something is not of your taste and you condemn it, that is being judgmental. That is being dis- you're discriminating at that point. I got a bunch more, but you don't want to hear them, and they'll just get me all fired up. So there, there you go. So let's do this. I mean, we like to think. Let's talk about this practically. We like to think we're all an open church. We're, I mean, after all, our values are receiving, equipping, and sending. We all think we're receiving. Nobody would probably raise their hand and go, "I'm prejudiced. I discriminate." Nobody'd probably do that. We all think we're nice people. So here's what I've done. I've planted some people in the crowd today, and I'm going to ask them to come out and see how you did and see how they felt received. So I'm going to ask you gentlemen to come on up at this time, if you would, if you would just stand up and come on up. This is Alok. This is Richard. This is Zeke. This is Bill. Here's my question to you gentlemen. How did you feel received into church today and into this worship service uh, from the time you got here to this moment? Tell me how you felt received and he felt like you were discriminated against in any way. And I, we've not, I'm not giving him the answers, by the way, in case you're wondering. Um, first of all, probably I was sitting up front, so that was part of the problem, huh? <laughs> um, but no, it was pretty, pretty welcome, but uh, the real greeting didn't happen until you actually had the uh, time for greeting. Really, not too many people actually came up and said hello, but uh, up until the uh, greeting time. So it makes you feel a little awkward there for a while. Do you feel any spirit of discrimination? Okay. All right. I'm doing okay right now. Okay, not great. Okay. Um, I felt real greeted uh, when the, it was time for greeting. I had a guy come all the way across the aisle and uh, greet me and stuff, and that was that felt really good. And then another guy, he uh, I'd already sit back down, and he still walked over and greeted me. He come around his wife or whatever and greeted me still. So I, it felt really good. It felt really good. Well, I think everybody was I mean, probably just a little nervous, but I mean, I appreciate it. I got to admit, at least at least when uh, I sat down, there wasn't any purse clutching. <laughs> um, I got to admit, the people in that area right there, I can speak because I've had to that. They're, 
very well received. I didn't get any odd looks until I started singing. <laughs> uh, then the looks came. Uh, but they're, they're really wonderful. I felt really well received. Okay. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Okay, so at least those around them did not discriminate today. Uh, here's what I'd like to ask you, though. Uh, you've got a yellow card in your bulletin. I ask you, everybody pull out this yellow card. And, you know, one of our primary vision, vision values is this, that we be a receiving church. And we mean by receiving people, regardless of what your condition is, of what your position is, whether you know Christ or not, we want to receive you into this time of worship. We want to receive you to come and seek Christ and find Him, regardless of what your skin color is, your economic position is. This card right here says mercy commitment. And maybe you're here this morning. The reason I call it mercy because some of you aren't members. Some of you are just visiting here. If you're a believer and you're a member of our church, then you are required to show a spirit of hospitality. The Bible tells us about uh, hospitality in Hebrews chapter 13, too. Matter of fact, the, the term is used entertain, which means hospitality. You are to entertain strangers. Uh, you are, as a matter of fact, some of you have entertained strangers unaware. In other words, some of you didn't even realize uh, that these were angels, that these were people, these were messengers of God. God had placed them here. And the way that you receive them has everything to say about how you have received Christ and how Christ has impacted you. So, if you remember, that's something that's required. If you're a visitor or you're just coming or you've not joined, then it might be an act of mercy for you to say, okay, I'm going to walk over and I'm going to greet someone. I'm going to make them feel welcome. I'm going to try to make them feel like they belong. There's a great description of what hospitality is. Making someone belong. That should be our goal as a receiving church. Making someone feel and become a part of the congregation. So here's what I'm asking. I want you to, if you would be willing to, to put your name and info on there and then say, here's the commitment I would be willing to make. And you can drop it in the offering box at the end of the service. I say the offering box, but this is our little mercy box and a bunch of people put cards in here last hour. But here are the kind of things that you can commit. And I'm going to leave this between you and God. You can say, you know what, I'm going to commit to do this. Just like, uh, it was great what Richard said, somebody walked all the way across and greeted me. It made me feel good. Every week, guys, Somebody walks in here who just lost a spouse. Almost every week, someone walks in here who they just got separated. They are no longer in that relationship. Every week, someone walks in here who lost a loved one. Every week, somebody walks in here who found out that they have cancer or another disease. Every week, someone walks in here alone, needing hope, wondering if they want to go on with life. Every week someone walks in here for the first time who's new and doesn't know anybody and they're hoping this will be a place where I can connect. This is a place where I can find purpose. This is a place where I can encounter God and, and the strength that I need. Every week that happens. And they may be sitting next to you this morning. Every week someone has decided, I want to go and find out about Christ in, about this relationship, about this person of Jesus Christ, if it's real. And let me say this. The Holy Spirit is the one that does the transformation. But God uses us to open the door, to be His hands, to be His feet. And we are more than hypocrites if we think this is all about us. 
If we become, I hope most of you saw that Me Church video. It's all about me. What are they going to sing for me today? What are they going to do for me today? Hey, worship is to be an active, participating action. So one of the ways that we worship, Jesus said, when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it in me. One of the greatest acts of worship that you might perform today is by greeting one of those gentlemen today, by making them feel a part, by saying, hey, I noticed you're, you're, there, you're here today. You might be new. Would you like to sit with us? Matter of fact, can I help you in any way to find, find any information that you might have? Hey, when you come next week, look for me. I'll be here. I just want you to know how glad I am that you're here today. And you're always welcome. And we're so glad that you're here. And maybe if you have the opportunity to take a step further and say, here's my email address. If you have questions, if I can help you or assist you in any way, I want to do that. If I can help you get plugged in, if I can help you to feel belonged here, then I want to do that. I want to ask some of you, and those of you who uh, God is working in your heart, to just make that commitment. And just say, hey, that's something I'm willing to do each week. And if you're not willing to do it, don't just fill it out because then you become a hypocrite like uh, James is talking about. But if you would be willing to say, I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. And you know what? It won't be comfortable. And sometimes you're going to go up to people and they've been here for two years. God bless you. Now you know them. Okay? Nothing wrong with that. Hardly anybody is offended by, made, by you making them feel welcome. Okay? So it doesn't matter if you're first time or you've been here for five years. The opportunity is the same. Will you show hospitality? Will you show the mercy of Christ and the love of Christ? One of the reasons that people reject Christianity is because they don't see that it's real. And when they come into our church, if it's not real here, then it's not real at all. So here's your opportunity. It doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how much money you make. None of that matters. The question is, will you respond? And if you really want to take the next step, you really think, God, I'm ready for you to use me. I'll give you a real challenge here. Right on there, I'm willing to do whatever is needed. And i tell you what, we'll, we'll email you two options. And you're willing. I say that because we might pick one that you just really, really hate and you wouldn't be any good at. Uh, so we'll mail you... Two options. If you say, you know what, I'm willing to help and serve in any way needed, write that on there. Whatever God leads you to do, I encourage you to do this morning. You see, that passage may not be true of everyone, but it may be true of you.